Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 370. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rankstraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Ah, it's going pretty well. How about you? Yeah, you know. All right. Good, good. Now, this week on the show, we'll be reviewing Shannon Murphy's Baby Teeth. We'll also be going over some of watching on the watch list and new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Uh, no, no housekeeping to go over this week. I think we can just safely jump into our review. Again, we're talking about baby teeth. I have a synopsis here. Mila, a seriously ill teenager, falls in love with a drug dealer, Moses, her parents' worst nightmare. Oh, boy. Uh, so we have a review for this up on the site. Chris reviewed this one for us. He gave it a 9 out of 10. So there were there were some pretty lofty expectations here for this movie. It also features Ben Mendelsohn, which I know both you and I are, are fans of Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh so yeah, I thought, well, why not? Why not why not give this a look? There were there weren't too many other options for this week, so we we decided on Baby Teeth. And uh I got to say after watching it, What's the big effing deal with this movie? I, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because one of the reasons I picked this movie is for like a week leading up to this. I mean, you know, I'm seeing, seeing baby teeth everywhere. Baby teeth, great movie. Oh my God, you got some baby teeth. One of the best movies of the year. Incredible. I'm like, oh, Ben Mendelsohn, S.E. Davis. Okay. This, is, this sounds intriguing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really. I wasn't drawn in by like the synopsis or anything, but I was like, all right, everyone's saying good things. And then uh, I'm uh, a lot like you because I honestly stopped this almost halfway through because I just couldn't take it anymore. I gave this a look yesterday and I actually had to take a break midway and come back to it later because I was just, just not, not into it. I think what it boils down to is uh, this is just nothing new. Like we've seen this so many times before. There's been so many of these love stories involving someone with a terminal illness. And yeah. I, I know, I know that I'm like terribly cynical and I know that a lot of these movies that, that strike an emotional chord don't seem to affect me in the same way. And oftentimes the movies that, aren't intended to strike an emotional chord do for me. <laughs> so I, I, I know that I'm really weird when it comes to how movies affect me in a, an emotional way, but I just was not very emotionally invested in this movie and, and, and the characters. I just was not into it. Yeah. Which it, and that was another thing that like really surprised me because like I said, when I stopped it, right. And I was just like, I'm so confused because I'm thinking the same thing as you are. I'm like, this feels uh, extremely familiar. It just feels like a rehash of like every, um, you know, movie that we've seen with, you know, a teenager going through cancer. So, you know, I hop on the internet, fire up the old internet machine, and I'm looking on Letterboxd and stuff, and everyone loves it and is praising it pretty much. Like, that's all I'm seeing. And I'm still just extremely confused. 
And it seems, I guess this is just one of those movies because there seems to be, you know, like one or two movies every year that are just, uh, you know, just universally praised for the most part. And I'm just left just, just sitting dumbfounded as to what, what am I missing? Like you go on IMDb and there's the still the, the trailer, right? And it has a, a, uh, an excerpt here from Variety. It says, wickedly perverse. In what way? And yeah. then a bracing blast of air. I don't like this is nothing new at all. Yeah, like what and was not that perverse. What was perverse about it? Like what was what was wicked or perverse about it? Like there was nothing edgy in this. It was a pretty straightforward love story. I mean that maybe the weird thing is the fact that she was like sixteen and he was twenty three or yeah. whatever. Which is that 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 didn't help. That like me and this movie got off on the wrong foot like right off the bat <laughs> because he shows up and I'm like wait this is the glove hanger like she's way too young this is creepy this is creepy I don't like it yeah it was, it was creepy it was inappropriate I wouldn't necessarily call it perverse at all and and, and like no. there were so many parts of this that felt just so cliched to me and I just I th- I think maybe people, I think maybe it does resonate with people, and they they see this as a, a touching story. But for me, it just it wasn't like I just wasn't. I think maybe part of that was the fact that I just wasn't very invested in these in these characters. I liked the characters. Um, I thought that the performances were quite good. I mean, Ben Mendelsohn was great. Uh, Eliza Scanlon, who plays the main character, Mila, she was very good. Same with Essie Davis and uh, Toby Wallace, the the dude who played Moses. I thought that they were all very good. But but the material here was just not something that was necessarily grabbing me. No. And and not only being, you know, a rehash of plenty of other movies, so much to the point that like you, you know everything, like from the outset, you know exactly how this is all going to play out, mm-hmm. and it does. Like it, 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 it follows the beats yeah. exactly how you would expect them to. There's these unnecessary, almost forced, like quirky things that just feel completely out of place. Like there's a bunch of puzzle pieces here that don't fit together. Like I don't understand anything or the inclusion of the neighbor Toby. The mm-hmm. Pregnant neighbor, yep, played by Emily Barclay with her dog, it, I, like that, pretty much went nowhere. Yeah, I was and, just, I, I was just gonna comment on that. Like, it felt really strange and unnecessary. And there was this this subplot involving the the marriage, her her parents' marriage, and how that seemed to be sort of shaky. And then the introduction of the neighbor. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, clearly there's going to be something happening here between Ben Mendelsohn and the neighbor. It seems pretty obvious. And and just the way that everything plays out is very, yeah, it's very telegraphed. Like, you know exactly where this yeah. is all going to go. It's It seems fairly obvious from the onset. And then there's just some other things that are just, like uh, the kid, Tenwa. Who the fuck is he? <laughs> And like, where, where, who, who is he? It's like, where's the parent? Yeah, I don't understand. He's just a kid that's there, apparently. I don't. I just 
so confused. I don't know why like that was a thing. I wasn't a fan of the like chapter titles or whatever. No. Either because they felt really inconsistent and it they bothered me. And a lot of times there was just it would it was just like a a title that told you what you immediately saw. Yeah. Because there's really no point to them other than like, oh look at this nice font and color. And and I'm probably mistaken I'm probably mistaken on this, but as I was watching it, one of the titles was called Romance Part Two, and I didn't recall a romance part one. And I'm like, did they just have a part two without a part one? I'm I'm sure I'm mistaken on that, but You might not be though. <laughs> you might not be. Yeah. I mean there's Tin Ma. No one knows who Tim Ma is and why he's here. <laughs> Unless I missed something completely with Tim Ma. Because I was so confused by her because he shows up at the birthday party at the end. And I'm like, where is this kid's parents? Well, like, oh, is that, was, was the, Gideon his dad? But it didn't seem like it. Wait, was that, was that Tim Ma at the end? I thought that that was Isaac at the party at the end. Tim Ma and Isaac oh, both were there. Are, both there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Which is also, it, it made me think that those scenes weren't real. Because the thing with Isaac, Moses' little brother, it went from, like, he can't see him at all, can't be around him, to all of a sudden, Isaac is in Moses' care alone right? at the beach and at a birthday party, which seems completely not going to happen. And they make it seem like a significant amount of time has passed, but it it really hasn't, so... That was, that was another thing that I found to be kind of odd about about this is that the transitions between like major sequences <clears throat> felt like, oh, well, this is like months later, but it really wasn't like you would still see no. like, like if Moses got injured in one scene, the next sequence, he would still have those like cuts and bruises, but it would feel like it was a long time later because it seems like the major conflicts that occurred in that sequence have now been wrapped up nicely and everybody's, you know, friends with one another again, but it, he still has those like cuts and bruises. So the amount of time has been maybe days or at most like a week. And yet like they're all friends again. So it's, it's really inconsistent, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, the visual storytelling in, in that regard is pretty poor. And just a lot of a lot of the things just it feels like they're not connected. You know, like her decision at the end, the 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 task that she asked Moses to accomplish. Yeah. Just seems completely out of place. It felt like a completely different movie. I know mm-hmm. you do have like at the beginning, you you know that she is, you know, what she was contemplating that from the very outset, like when we first meet her. So we know that, that that's a part of her. And that's in her mindset. But it just, for her to bring him in, when he, she knows that he has his own things that he's dealing with, and I, like, I just don't understand why she would put that on him. Yeah, it seemed really uncharacteristic, and especially because things were going good, you know, between the relationship between her and her, her parents and her and Moses, and even Moses and her parents. It's, so it seemed kind of like, it was a little bit out of nowhere for the run for the run time i mean and all these relationships but it just it didn't feel like there was that much development 
it was it didn't feel like there was that much of a journey with these characters over the course of two hours. No, I completely like, I agree. It, it feels like I just got kind of the base points and then we just kept hitting those base points over and over again until the end. Yeah. Yeah. Now this just, it might not be a movie suited for, for me, you know, it might not be a movie that's marketed towards someone like me. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a parent, so I I don't necessarily have that connection. Yeah. Uh, I think that maybe, maybe if you are a parent, there's probably a lot more that you can glean from this, especially because I think that it is sort of an interesting dynamic when you have uh, a child who has this, this life threatening illness and you want them to be happy and you want them to be comfortable and you're willing to go to some lengths that you maybe not wouldn't otherwise do like allow them to befriend a, a, a drug addict you know yeah so i think in that regard there there was something there with this movie showing the parents sort of making that decision like okay well this is what truly makes her happy so let's kind of support this and go along with this even though it's not a good idea so i kind of i liked that aspect of it but for me, again, the, the, the arc, the development of these characters just didn't really suit um, that premise. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, it just feels, again, not only is it familiar in the sense of like the, the subject matter here, but also just in terms of filmmaking, it just felt like, you know, every quote-unquote inky darling that played like Sundance mm-hmm. or you know what I mean like even the style of it just feels really familiar mm-hmm. and well-worn mm-hmm. so there wasn't anything that you know kind of grabbed my attention or caught me off guard like visually or even you know or editing wise or anything you know what I mean like everything just feels just very plain yeah yep yeah, I mean, how many how many shots do we get of the back of the, the old nape of the neck? A little bit of a woozy camera. <laughs> a little, just a little, swaying a little bit in the breeze, catching that catching that internal struggle on the nape of the neck. <laughs> I mean, that took up almost like twenty minutes of the movie. I think. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I thought uh, S.E. Davis had uh, f- some pretty good moments in this, though. She she was able to really stretch her yeah. acting muscles here and, and had some really powerful scenes. But again, her character was kind of like, as soon as you meet her, you're like, oh, she's going to be the, uh, you know, she's having a tough time. So she's kind of going a little bit overboard with the prescription drugs. Right, yeah. yeah gonna make her a little, little flighty but they didn't they didn't even really do much with that either no they yeah they kind of abandoned that oh my god i just remembered the scene there's there's one scene with ben mendelson there's like a development with his character and you're just yeah. like whoa what 
not. And they just completely. Yeah, they, there's there's this one, like to me, I, I I found it to be like really jarring. Like all of a sudden, they're showing Ben Mendelsohn doing this thing, and I'm just like, whoa, what? Wait a minute. And then he he brushes it off, and then it's never addressed again for the rest of the movie. And you're just like, okay, yeah, uh, okay. That seems like a serious issue that needs to be there needs to be some sort of resolution to that. Yeah. Cause why would you, yeah. sh- why would you show that otherwise? I mean, it's not even that they showed it is that there was a title card. So it was like a, it was like a chapter, <laughs> even though it was only like two minutes long, mm-hmm. but they like, they made a title card specifically for that scene. Yeah. It's just, it's weird, man. I'm just not into it. And I was just, I, not that I wanted you to not like this movie. You know what I mean? Like I wanted you to enjoy, I want you to enjoy every movie, obviously, but it was just, it was oddly comforting to get a text from you that was like, yeah, I don't get this. I'm like, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so worried that, you know, like this would turn and you would be like, oh my God, this is just unbelievable. Just a tour de force. Oh, maybe, and then I would just be even more confused. Maybe, maybe I would have been able to like articulate it and have you understand, but no, I can't do that because frankly, I, I don't see the appeal of this movie. And maybe it's because I've seen other movies that deal with the same subject matter in, in a better way. Or, or just that I've seen other movies that deal with the same subject matter, period. Yeah. And frankly, I, like, I'm not a big fan of any, any movies that, that deal with this, this topic in this specific way where they, they pull in a, a, romance, a romance angle to it. Well, they always do the romance angle, and they always do, you know, it's got to be... Coming of age. It's coming of age, and you got to have the comedy in there, which the comedy's always got to be this, you know... I guess what they would call or what they assume to be wickedly perverse, but I'm not sure that those are the right words for it. No, oh, yeah. It's got to throw, you know, like in this, these little quirks, little quirks. Mm-hmm. He's a drug addict. Isn't that funny? <laughs> His parents are drug addicts too. Isn't that funny? Nothing but a bunch of drug addicts in here. All right, a bunch of drugs. That's Baby Teeth. That is available now on VOD platforms. Uh, Kevin, what are you going to give this out of 10? Um, I, don't, I feel like my heart is dead. And like I'm just a really cold person. But I like a four. Yeah, I'm sitting at around a, a four, four, four and a half on this one too. Like, yeah, like that's how I was feeling. Like as I was watching it, I'm like, Am I just that cynical where this is not affecting me emotionally? Like I, I'm I'm not getting choked up or feeling sad. Like I know that's not the case though, because I because movies and TV do affect me emotionally, and yeah. I and I do tear up and get sad over. I mean, I'm playing a, a good example. I'm playing The Last of Us Two right now, and that thing that's like an emotional gut punch over and over again. And I've already gotten emotional a number of times playing through that game. So I know it's not that I know that I'm not that dead inside. 
it's just, you know, like another, so much time spent on these, you know, these little side, like, I don't even know if they're plots, really. They're just instances, the happenings, you know, everything with the, the pregnant neighbor. Like, there's a whole thing where he's like, wildly unprofessional, you know, this woman's like crying. And he's just like, hold on, hold on. I got to change a light bulb. Oh, hold on, hold on. And he's like, yeah, he runs the whole year to change the light. And you're just like, oh, okay. Like, I understand you're in a really stressful situation. And, you know, people deal with things differently. But I, like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> like, you're at work, dude. Like, if, if it's, like, yeah, I, you're, you're doing a disservice to your patients who need you. Like if, if you can't perform your job, then you need to take a sabbatical or take some time off. At any rate, that's baby teeth. Uh, that's a, unfortunately a pass from both of us. However, as we said, a lot of people are, re- this movie is really resonating with them. So you, you may enjoy it. I guess your mileage may vary on this one. Yes, definitely. Let's talk about someone we're watching. I think it is my turn this week i saw you should have left this is directed by david kep this is the the new blumhouse horror movie starring kevin bacon and amanda seyfried yeah interestingly uh, amanda seyfried plays kevin bacon's wife pretty big age gap Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. which it it is it is actually addressed it's like kind of uh a big not a big plot point, but it is a plot point. So the the basic premise of this is that Kevin Bacon is is married to Amanda Seyfried. Uh, they have a child together, and his Kevin Bacon's previous wife died in a drowning accident. And Amanda Seyfried is a she's like a famous actress, and that they decide to rent this vacation home in wales this really really cool looking house in wales and uh some some weird some weird stuff starts going on in this house some some creepy creepy house stuff like the like they end up like the house is like deceptively large like there's all these different hallways and doors and lights and everything and then he he eventually discovers that the house is like the the one room is like four inches bigger on the outside than it is, or sorry, on the inside than it is on the outside. So it's like the geometry, the architecture in this home is impossible. And, you know, there's some creepy imagery that starts to happen and it all stems from like his jealousy and his guilt over the death of his first wife. And did he, or did he not have a hand in her death Guess you'll have to watch the movie to find out, but I don't recommend it because the movie's very bad. Uh it's really bad. Man, movies like some movies start off okay and then they just can't stick the landing. And this is this is an example of that movie of a movie that cannot stick the landing. Like this movie just has no idea where it's going. And when it finally hit reaches its conclusion, you're just like, oh, that's it? <laughs> like this is what this has led up to. Like, there's no big reveals or anything like that. There's no resolution. It's just sort of, he's just like, Oh, this is how it is. And then that's it. It's over. And 
nothing about it is particularly scary. The only thing that I can say about it that I really enjoyed was the house. Like the the house was really cool looking. It has this sort of um, very minimalist sort of Scandinavian look to it. And I really, I really like that design style. So the house, the house was dope. The rest of the movie was uh, pretty much a train wreck. Wow. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, skip it. You can, uh, you can bypass that one. Because I was like, just, just mildly interested. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's recognizable people. It sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Could be, it could be a thing. It could be a sleeper hit. Could be, but it wasn't. But, uh, <laughs> it's like you're just better off looking up real estate on the internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go to some design blogs. You'll have a better experience. I saw Hustlers from 2019. To, I guess, like somewhat surprised it. I was kind of surprised the way that it kind of took over 2019. A lot of people talking good things about this. And I got to say, they were pretty much right. Uh, I found this highly enjoyable. Very entertaining movie mm-hmm. for me. I, I don't know. It just it seemed to to be one of those instances of the, you know, just at the right time. It's just what I needed. You know what I mean? Just like it had the right energy to it, the right tempo, the editing style. Did you just, you know, there, there I, I want to say con. But I don't know if it's really, I don't know if getting drugged, if you're really getting conned. I think, <laughs> just think you're being taken advantage of at that point. It's, it's not necessarily a con that they're doing. <laughs> I mean, partially, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, the, the lead up, the lead up to the drugging is kind of where the con is. Yeah, true. And then, they, yeah, I guess, and then they just kind of brute force it. At a certain point, you know, like, you know what? We can just brute force yeah. and we can get so much more. We'll just a huge puncture in the sidewall and just let everything come gushing out and we'll make a lot more money this way. Which I did, I did enjoy that, that build up because I was kind of wondering, like, because uh, at first, you know, their, their original con, which is I thought like kind of where it ended. I didn't know it escalated from there. I just kind of thought that that was their thing that they're doing. And I'm like, well, they didn't do anything wrong. I don't understand. And then, okay, you know, it escalates. And I still don't really think they did anything wrong. I mean, obviously, it's illegal. But still just kind of like, that's all, a good idea. I yeah, like I mean, that. they're all scumbags <laughs> anyway, so nobody cares. Yeah, I was like, it was great. And I was actually kind of surprised that it, the, like the, the framework of this with the... Um, you know, this being based off of an article and how they kind of incorporated that into the movie with the, the journalist played by Julia Stiles, like interviewing. Like I thought that that, that whole framework was going to be like irritating and wouldn't work. But I have to say, like, it, it didn't really bother me that much. I thought it was for the most part, pretty well done. I just, I found it to be lean and entertaining. You know, I a hundred percent agree. I really enjoyed this. This was a huge surprise for me. This was one that like, uh, my wife saw it, said it was really good. And I had, I heard other people saying that it was really good. And I waited till I think the very end of the year to watch it. And a- after I did, I was like, wow, like that really was yeah. a surprise. Really. It was very, it was really very good. fun. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, that's hustlers. 
So check, definitely check that out. The only thing I disagree with is everybody was giving Jennifer Lopez a lot of praise for her performance, and I didn't think it was anything amazing. Yeah, I mean, she was good. I thought she was fine. She was fine. So a lot of the movies that I saw this week were in preparation for this month's Saved by the 90s, so I won't really get into any of those. However, I did watch a movie that I noticed that you also watched, and I don't ever recall you talking about it on the show. Um, This is Ned Rifle by Hal Hartley. Oh, yeah, no, Ned Rifle. Yeah. My question is, this is the third entry in a trilogy. Did you see see the other ones? Absolutely not. I didn't think so, because I thought on your review, on your your letterbox review, it said that was your first Hal Hartley. Yeah. No, I think that was, I think that was something that I learned like, after the after fact. Because <laughs> I think there was a part of me that was like, oh, I, I get the feeling that some of this stuff is, like, I should know. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely is like, you kind of need to see the other ones. <laughs> and, well, I will say that I think for the most part, it worked for me. Like they they do they do enjoyed it yeah they they do kind of work standalone but to to really understand the context you have to see the other ones <laughs> I'm not going to but because <laughs> Ned Rifle wasn't good enough that I was like oh, yeah I want to go back and watch more of these I I would actually recommend it just because they're just it's there's it's such a weird trilogy it's so bizarre and I'm gonna get I'll. I'll we're going to be talking about Henry fool on this month, say by the nineties. And after watching Henry fool, I was just like, I got to see how the other two play out, like how this story plays out because Henry fool, which came out in 1997 is a pretty standard nineties, New York indie movie. You know, if you're, if you're familiar with uh, the big, the indie boom of the nineties, like they all kind of had the same, style like they felt almost like a precursor to mumblecore in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. that's just like this that style and uh like where was it gonna go from here and when you see this the second one Faye Grimm which came out in 2006 which focuses on uh Parker Posey's character that is so different and bizarre you're just like what what, where are they going here with this? It's, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about the plot of Faye Grimm because it is so, so far removed from the, the first one and even the third one that like, I feel like you just have to sort of experience it. (laughs) It's, but overall, I think that the trilogy is, it's worth a look. They're weird, man. Like they're, the like the structure the the act like the the dialogue the acting style it's just not it's not typical yeah and they're they're kind of they're kind of unique i i did like ned rifle but it's uh i i think that it's they're they're certainly not for everyone these movies yeah they're definitely rough around the edges too i would say well maybe i will We'll see. We'll see. Well, I, I can tell you that Faye Grimm is, it's not a comedy at all. It's an espionage thriller that spans 
multiple countries, including Turkey and Afghanistan and Paris. Okay. So, <laughs> if, right. if if that intrigues you, all right. Interesting. Uh, I watched a movie you watched. That's Greener Grass. Oh yeah. I got around to Greener Grass. Uh, I had a very different experience than you, and I, I, I think this is another movie that the mileage may vary. Oh it, yeah, big I, time. I, oh man, I did not like this. It just felt it felt like it was trying entirely too hard, and just a lot of it felt really flat for me. Now, early on, I was kind of into it, right? Kind of the whole setup and the, their world and everything. But I was thoroughly enjoying or <laughs> enjoying Julian Hilliard's performance. He's the kid that turns into a dog, mm-hmm. uh, and like his absurdity. Just for whatever reason, like his delivery and him being, you know, a little kid and everything, like it just really worked for me. And I was like, I, I like where this this is going. I had forgotten that he turns into a dog. I know that you did tell me that, but I had forgotten until he turned into a dog. And I was like, oh yeah, Adam told me that. That's right. Damn it. And it was just like, out of all the characters in the movie, that you had to turn into a dog to take away you know, their comedic performance, he would have been like on my untouchables list. Like whatever you do, just let this kid keep doing what he's doing. You can change one of these other people, these handful of people into a dog. That's fine. But no, they picked the one, the one person that I was thoroughly enjoying in the movie. So then it just kind of nosedived from there because I missed him and him yelling at his mom that she's a school. <laughs> and then she has a bunch of clocks inside of her. <laughs> this is another movie that I feel like they didn't know how to end it. No, they didn't. And interestingly, though, it's like it seemed to be going to this place where you're like, oh, okay, we're actually going to like come to not necessarily a conclusion, but we're going to like have this kind of like like a small revelation or you know some like oh you actually had a message behind all this this weirdness that you're doing that felt so nonsensical and then it just it kind of didn't and then just ended it's just like oh oh god all right but and then the whole the the angle of like the black christmas angle with i guess her name was little helen I like that just didn't work for me at all. That didn't necessarily work for me either, but I sort of just ignored that. I did like the scene when she was the substitute yoga teacher and she brought in the TV and they watched Twister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. That's the thing. Like it has its moments. Like it would, there's moments where it's funny. Like it's, it's funny, but it just seems like, I don't know, you know, these movies that are you know, like an hour and a half long of like, hey, we're setting up this framework and now we're just going to do improv. Yeah, I and mean, it's like, all right, I'm, I, can, uh. I, I, I can totally understand. I mean, I I wasn't sure that this was something that would work for me from, from the beginning. Like uh, my wife saw this and hated it. My dad saw this and hated it. Uh, it it's it's just something that it clicked for me. And. I I really enjoyed it, and I wa- I watched it twice, and, and I enjoyed it both times. 
I did. I mean, I won't give him props for like creating this like really robust world, you know, like the, the shows that they watched. Like I did, you know, Kids with Knives. I like that idea. Kids with Knives. And I like how, yeah, like you built this whole like multi-layered universe. So I, I will give him props for that. But just, it just, it didn't hit my funny bone like I was hoping it would. Mm-hmm. You didn't like Beck Bennett and his obsession with the pool water? He starts drinking the no, pool water. No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I just wanted him to shut up. My favorite part was was when they got in the argument and they showed him out in the pool pouting and drinking the water. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, that's greener grass. I have a review for that up on the site, but it's, uh, yeah, it definitely, definitely seems like... the. <laughs> Only, only a very specific number of people are going to really enjoy that movie. But and the, the an interesting thing that I found out, which I haven't watched it yet, um, but there is Greener Grass. The, the the movie is on Hulu, by the way. You can watch. It. But there's a Greener Grass uh, short from 2015, directed by Paul Brignani, that stars you know Jocelyn Debar and uh, Don Webb. So, like, it existed in 2015 as a 15-minute short, and it looks like it's pretty much the same Hmm. going off of, like, what they, so they just kind of built out from that. So I'm interested to see in the short, like, does it work better in, like, a 15-minute snippet? You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Like, maybe it just, it's like, instead of expanding it out, I don't know. I saw Paprika from 2006. This is directed by Satoshi Khan. Have you seen this movie? I don't see it on your... No. Oh, my God, Kevin. It's been on my watch list. This, this like, movie, years. this is like... you. you this is a must-watch for you. <laughs> it's, it's basically... So, Paprika is basically Inception. It's kind of the same idea as Inception, where... They have this, there's this device that allows you to go into people's dreams and affect their, their dreams. And the, what happens is one of these devices gets stolen and a terrorist is using it to change people, control people, etc. And it is so good. Uh, I, I can't believe that I'm just now seeing it. It's it's been one of these movies that's sort of been on my periphery forever, and I just never got around to to watching it. Um, we talked about Perfect Blue on this show like multiple times. I think we we reviewed it uh, for Halloween this past this past Halloween, and I think I talked about it other times on the show. I love Perfect Blue. That's also directed by Satoshi Khan. He also did Tokyo Godfathers, which I. Also never saw, and I plan on rectifying that in the very near future. That was actually just re-released in theaters before, right, right before the COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and he also did Paranoia Agent, which was a, a, sh- a show that I, I absolutely loved back in the day, which, by the way, they, that came back. Um, they're, they're re-airing that on Adult Swim now. So, okay. Which is which is interesting. Um, highly recommend Paprika. It is just the right level of sort of 
crazy creative surreal imagery and sci-fi and i absolutely freaking loved it and the soundtrack is absolutely killer too it's the same guy who did the the music for paranoia agent remember that amazing intro to paranoia agent I remember absolutely nothing from Paranoid. You don't remember the intro where everybody's laughing and smiling over that song? Nope. Man. Nah. You should, look, you should look that up on YouTube after this. Susumu Hirasawa is the composer. Amazing soundtrack. Must see. Paprika. Check it out. Okay, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the 23rd, we have Daddy Issues. That is a comedy i think we have man child the shale cotton story the basketball player probably know more about him than me who shale cotton shale cotton huh he's a, a los angeles hoops megastar uh mm, i've never heard of him <laughs> <laughs> hmm, interesting all right uh we have aqua slash your killer vacation awaits. I'm going to be checking this out. Looks, looks campy and fun. We have Time Warp, the greatest cult films of all time, volume three, comedy and camp. I talked about this movie many moons ago, and the third entry is coming out this week. It just seems like they should have all been released at the same time. I agree. The whole one. Yeah. Like, you're not... It's not... It's not that compelling to me that you need to space these out. Yeah, they should have just put them all out at once. We have The Ghost of Peter Sellers. And we have, and then on the 24th, we have Athlete A. That's going to be on Netflix. Then on the 26th, we have Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. That's going to be on Netflix as well. That's the comedy with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, where they play an, an Icelandic singing duo who enters the Eurovision song contest. That's the, right. the next entry in a long line of quirky jobs, quirky job movies that Will Ferrell has done over the years. So after he moved on from the, the sports, the sports comedies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you seen the trailer for this or heard anything about it? No, I had no idea about this. Uh, it sounds like it could be funny, but I'm like 99% sure that it did not. Yeah, I, I think that I did see the trailer for it and the trailer is not funny. So I don't think it's going to be very good. I'll watch it just because it's on Netflix and I'm always in the market for a good comedy. But it, is, yeah. it, it, it seems like something that would work perfectly. As a funnier die, like eight minute mm-hmm. video, like a mockumentary. Yeah, you know that would that would probably work nicely. I don't think that's the case here, though. We'll see. No. Uh, okay. Also, on the twenty sixth, we have My Spy. That's the Dave Batista comedy that was supposed to be in theaters, and uh, Amazon is going to be releasing that. So that'll be on Amazon Prime. If you're a Prime member, you can. Give that a look. We have Irresistible. This is the Jon Stewart-directed political comedy with Steve Carell. And I believe that is it for this week on VOD. Let's see what we have on Blu-ray. 
Okay, we have Dream Demon from 1988 that's coming out on Arrow. We have The Spider from 1958. The Last Valley from 1971. The Road to Wellville from 1994, starring Matthew Broderick. Remember that movie? Where he played... Oh, uh, What's his name? Like John Kellogg? Can't remember the... Can't remember the guy's name. Harvey. John Harvey Kellogg, yeah. What a what a movie that was. Very, very strange. Uh got Corp Corpus Christi. Uh and then we danced. The Last Supper. The Vampire Conspiracy from 2005. Oh hell yeah. Daddy Issues. Jasper Mall. That one's actually I actually enjoyed that. I think I saw that at Slam Dance this year. Uh, that's about it. What about Criterions this week? Uh, we have a contemporary pick with a Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh-oh. Which, I gotta say, uh, cover-wise. Killer. Perhaps more like one of the best covers. Yeah. If ever produced. Amazing. Just incredible. Incredible. Bunch of new uh, interviews, conversations, all sorts of stuff on there. And then uh, Tokyo Olympiad, which is uh, Kanichikawa covering the 1964 Summer Games in Tokyo with a ton of cameras, just a ton of coverage. Are you uh, going to finally check out Portrait of a Lady on Fire because of this? or still? <laughs> I'm, gonna say, I'm saying yes, because I do want to see it. But I've also been saying yes for like a year plus, and it hasn't happened. I mean, for so, for you, I would just say to temper your expectations. Like, I think this could be another Carol situation for you, because I know it was for me where it was a it was a movie that everybody loved, and I saw it, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, it was pretty good. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if that happens in 2020. It's worth, it, it is worth a look. Uh, don't get me wrong. I just, I wasn't blown away with it like a lot of other people were. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, all right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.